Welcome to the Illuminati Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Bond. Alongside me, as always, Seth Barnardor, Robert Stieg, and our beautiful producer, Anthony Vito. Guys, we we made it through an entire season um, sans two games, uh, which is, uh, you know, pretty impressive considering some teams have had like six games canceled. Uh, I think a couple of teams have had two games canceled within like four days of getting canceled and then rescheduling and then getting canceled again. So, you know, all in all, not too bad. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. How, how was everyone's Thanksgiving? Steve, what'd you do? You know, I, uh, I did the typical white person thing. I, uh, I hung out with my family. Didn't really do too much. We ate uh, a nice Thanksgiving lunch provided by uh, the Florida Yacht Club. So super white person thing. We didn't even cook. Um, but no, it was, it was nice to see the family. I haven't seen them in a, in, a, in a hot minute. So white. The Yacht Rock Master goes to the Yacht Club for Thanksgiving. Please. Vito, what'd you do? Did the old uh, two two Thanksgivings? One with uh, we, I did brunch with my family. Um, with my it was just my mom and dad. My uh, extended family weren't coming in just for safety and all the reasons because of COVID. So I saw them for for brunch, and then I went over to see Molly's um, family, my future father and mother in law, and spent the uh, the football games in the evening. Uh, Thanksgiving there, so I had lots of turkey back to back, lots of turkey. Oh my goodness. But the good thing is my folks made different sides than Molly's folks did. So it was like a, a big old smorgasbord of mm. different sides, different fixings with the uh, delicious, delicious turkey. Very nice. Seth, what did you uh, get up to over Thanksgiving? Uh, we went up. We had a, rented a cabin in Tennessee. Uh, kind of the whole family did and went up there and hung out for a few days and probably drove more than we actually stayed in the cabin. But uh, uh, pretty good. Not too bad. Uh, nice and cold up there. Uh, it snowed. It snowed while we were there, but like it snowed 11 inches like two days after we left. So we we kind of lucked out because we were kind of on the mountain and wouldn't have been able to drive up if it snowed. So so it was a good timing. But uh, it was it was nice to get different weather and uh, right get out of the state a little bit. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. I went up to uh, my in laws in Newport Ritchie. I think we went up. Tuesday, Tuesday night. Um, so I worked half the day Wednesday and then just kind of hung out. Um, my sister-in-law is in color guard at Florida state. So she came down for Thanksgiving and then had to turn right back around on Friday, uh, to go back to Tallahassee for a game that got canceled Saturday morning. Um, my in-laws, because she's in color guard, I think it was supposed to be like their senior game. Um, and she's the captain of the color guard. So my in-laws were literally on the way up to Tallahassee. They live in Newport Ritchie, so it takes a while to get to two or to seventy-five from Newport Ritchie. So they hadn't gotten to to uh, two seventy-five before the game got canceled. So they were able to kind of turn around and and figure out you know what else they want to do, um, which was nice. And uh, Samantha's uncle came down from Georgia with his wife and two kids and uh, brought their shotguns and. Uh, being in Newport Ritchie, fit right in. Uh, in-laws back up their house and back up to a nature preserve, so we shot some clay, and uh, it was a lot of fun. I'm a better thrower of the the clay pigeons <laughs> than uh, shooter, um, but yeah, not not too bad. Um, played Among Us with uh, the the two kids. Uh, they're like 11 and seven. I don't know if you guys play Among Us, but that was a lot of fun. Um, oh yeah. And uh, just kind of relaxed and hung out, ate some food, ate some pumpkin pie, apple pie, and just relaxed. But guys, we, I don't think I've ever been more content or happy after a loss than I was uh, after Friday night's loss to Central Florida. You know, 58-46, I mean, quite frankly, an offensive explosion from the Bulls. Uh, led by Jordan McLeod's five total touchdowns, 404 passing yards, four four passing touchdowns. Um, pretty incredible to see. I, uh, granted, Central Florida's defense is, uh, I think, us four are actually starters in the secondary. So uh, there's no surprises there of why they got burned to a crisp. But w- what were your impressions uh, to the game, uh, Stieg, of, you know, 
how shocking this offensive output was. So I think, as you mentioned, I wasn't necessarily surprised that our, our defense kind of gave up as many points. Um, you know, obviously it's been a struggle for us all year. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me was just the fact that, and it sounds stupid because I hate this consolation prize that you always hear about every single year, but the fact that this team really did not quit at all and, and was within very much striking distance uh, late in the game with about, what was it, nine minutes left? Uh, and they had the ball and they were only down by seven. Right. Um, so at, at that point, that was that was victory. You know, UCF could have scored 40 more points and it did not matter because at that point, you know, that, that was a huge victory for, for us. And, you know, I, I think you, it, it really showed the proper trajectory that both of these teams are kind of going towards right now. Obviously UCF has had a, a, a rather disappointing year for, for their uh, statistics of things uh, projected to win the conference, I believe uh, by the pollsters at the beginning. Uh, I'll have to double check. I was one of them. I don't think I put yeah. them first, but I'll check. They were first or second. They were up there, and obviously now they're in, in kind of the mediocre outside the top three, which is where, I mean, frankly, U, USF and UCF should be in those uh, top three spots you know, year in, year out with the amount of talent we have. But regardless, we knew we were going to be at at the beginning and the end of the year, and you saw a lot more out of this team than I think you saw before you know, in the, in the first eight games of the season. So very pleased with the offensive output, very pleased with the fact that the defense uh, made some plays here and there. Uh, Dwayne Boyle's interception uh, couldn't have came at a better time. Um, you know, classic Dylan Gabriel interception that he probably shouldn't have thrown and should have ran instead. Uh, but, you know, you'll take it in. And to, to force a lot of discomfort was was key for me. Seth, how about yourself? What, I mean, you studied both of these teams at USF extensively throughout the season. You know what UCF is capable of on offense and what they're incapable of on defense. Was it just a perfect storm for this offense to, you know, click finally? Uh, yeah. The UCF's not very good on defense, but they've played other bad defenses this year and haven't done much against them. So I thought they played pretty well offensively. Uh, defensively, they they created some negative plays, got some turnovers. Um, you know what really hurt them was the turnovers on of, that they committed on offense. Two fumbles, kind of uncharacteristic of uh, a back that hasn't fumbled very much at all in his career. I don't think he's fumbled at all up to that point. Right. So, uh, so kind of some fluky plays where the ball just kind of flips out of his hand, and maybe maybe a Thanksgiving butt fumble by a team in green again. But I thought they played pretty well overall, and I think you have to be pleased, especially when you go back, right? We talked about we want to see improvement from game one to the last, the final game. If you looked at game one, I think they were much better offensively against UCF than they were against the Citadel, which is not a great defense at the 1AA level. So I think you have to be pleased with the improvement. Maybe not pleased with the overall season, but a good note to go out on, at least offensively. Rita, what, what did you think of uh, you know, Friday night and how surprised were you? So um, uh, I'll first start by, by saying that I don't care what anybody says. Those slime uniforms looked amazing on TV. Like they looked really solid. And, you know, Seahawks have something similar. And I always thought that never looked right. I feel like those slime uniforms were pretty fantastic and look good, feel good. I mean, more total yards, more passing yards, more rushing yards, 6.9 yards per play to UCF 7.1, more first downs, um, over 50% on third down to UCF's 30%. Uh, the, the two fumbles are your killers because you gave up 14 points there and you know you lose by 12. You, you never know what's going to happen, but even the beginning, and I know we'll talk about it with some of the issues that we saw. I mean, Jordan McLeod was balling, and if this is what Jordan McLeod's ceiling can be, then I think you can reevaluate, or, or just looking at with this offense, you saw what we've been talking about with seeing the process proof of concept and considering last year. And I happened to be at the bounce house for last year's game, which was the, which at the end of it, you felt extremely deflating. And the, the um, kicker with that was Charlie strong being let go afterwards. This just gave you that little bit of, there's some positivity there. And yes, it was a loss and yes, it was to UCF. But when they're screaming more about how are we letting this terrible team, stay in we need to fire our dc as opposed to being happy that they got a win 
it just kind of helps, even though a rivalry game, what have you, it was very positive. It was just very fun to finally see an offense look good and do a really good job uh, conceptually and in reality. So I, I felt great about it, even though it was a loss. Yeah, and you mentioned that you know the, the more first downs from USF, uh, I think they I think they ended with like thirty eight first downs, which is uh, incredible. And if you look at the drive chart here, USF's touchdowns were eight plays eighty yards, eleven plays seventy five yards, nine plays ninety yards, eleven eighty six. Uh, field goal was ten for sixty two, and then uh, there was a after the interception, it was three for forty eight, quick strike, and then their final drive was four for sixty. I, it's those sustained drives that USF was just incapable of having throughout the the season. And, you know, I made this comment on, on Twitter after the game, you know, truly the only terrible thing that has had that happened on Friday night was there's a good chance. Randy Shannon's not going to be around next year for UCF as defensive coordinator. And that is just so unfortunate on, on many, many levels. Um, Because I mean, this, USF doubled their season output in total yards in this game. And you can't, uh, it's just, it was incredible. And we, I think the the next question that I have for the group here is, yeah, Jordan McLeod had probably the best game of the season by any quarterback. Where does that raise lower? Does it change your outlook on what he can be going into the future? You know, he still has three years of eligibility left you still have the unknown of Noah Johnson coming back, which I think he would with another year. Kate Fortin's a great unknown. You have the two freshman quarterbacks and then another one coming in. Where does Jordan fit? Does he look to transfer? Where do you guys see him kind of going forward as we get into the spring here and then signing the signing period in what, two weeks? Uh, Seth, what are your thoughts on, on how Jordan finished the year and where, where he can be? Uh, next year for USF if he's still here. Yeah, I think he's got some – he's obviously got some momentum heading into the offseason, heading into spring, coming off that game. Uh, the final impre- – you leave a good final impression on the season. That's the last thing you leave in the coach's head before the next time you get in the field, which will be spring football. So I think he'd probably have a little bit of a leg up going into spring, but I wouldn't be in a rush to crown him. Um, he's, he had a lot of inconsistency over the season, um, but he did show that he has, he has, he's capable, um, of making some big plays in the passing game and managing an an explosive offense. So, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't crown him. I think they still need to go through spring and, and really see, you know, if they're going to go in the portal, which I don't think would be a bad idea to go get another capable quarterback that can play this year. We saw... Now, obviously, we don't think the seasons ahead will be this uh, wild, but um, we we saw kind of what happens when your quarterback depth gets tested and you uh, you may not have guys ready to play. So I don't think it'd be a bad idea to get somebody else in the portal, or if they feel pretty good with what they got, then it's an open competition in spring, like it was going to be this past season, and, and we'll see what happens. Steve, what about yourself? I um, it it felt a lot to me like how the ECU game was about two years ago. Um, just kind of unexpected output from, from Jordan and, um, you know, ultimately making throws that he normally does not make. And for me, at least the lack of consistency uh, with Jordan is, is, is troubling. Um, you know, if, if he had three or four games where he was kind of lights out like this, this year, I'd be like, okay, yeah, let's, you know, let's go ahead and, you know, t- write in pencil, you know, Jordan McLeod starter next year, but I, I didn't really get the, the the vote of confidence that I would normally um, going into next year, you know, bringing back five quarterbacks um, plus bringing in another one in, in the um, in recruitment. So for me, at least, I, I still think you go into next spring with an open mindset of saying, all right, you know, we, we have a pretty good idea of how some of our quarterbacks were as far as game managers go. Let's let's still keep this as, as an open competition. I do think that they do try to go after another quarterback in the portal. I think that would only serve to benefit this team, um, especially with some of the names that we've seen, um, you know, already putting their hat, hat in portal and, 
some of the other guys that, you know, are rumored to be putting their hand in the portal as well. So I would probably say, you know, go after another quarterback in the portal and ultimately more bodies in that quarterback room, the better um, when it comes to trying to find someone who can lead this team and, and, and find some sort of consistency for Charlie West Jr. Vito, any, any, uh, anything to add there? I know there's got to be something to be said for consistency and not being hurt for an entire season so far for Jordan McLeod, which was a huge problem for him last year. Yeah. Uh, I, and with COVID, we never really got with injury reports and unavailables. We never really got a good idea of who's hurt, who's out because of tracing, who's practicing. And I'll, I mean, a lot of that can change how your outlook is. If you're practicing with this offensive line and receivers and all of a sudden four of those guys are out or all of a sudden you're not playing with the same starters that you were in practice, things can change. But I mean, Jordan looked like he was playing like a leader and he was even running with authority. I mean, we'll always have, we'll put that in the gift folder of him just trucking a UCF uh, uh, defensive back into the end zone. But he finally looked like he was, you know, being able to take command of the offense, whether or not this was a long time coming or if this was again, just a weird game. And this is maybe a one-time thing. I mean, you're never going to crown him. You're never going to crown any starter right now and say, hey, come back. You're the starter next year. You always want to keep your head with the portal, especially with the weird transfer news, like uh, the new transfer rules, like um, Steve was saying. But he's just a guy you want in the locker room. He's a Tampa guy. He loves the city. He wants to be a leader. He wants to go out and help clean up his city and be a leader in Tampa Bay. And that's just one of those, you want him to do well. And like him being him doing well specifically in that role on um, Slime Friday, was really neat for me. And I really hope that there's a place for him and that he can take the reins and this can be now Jordan McLeod his next few years that he can take the reins and be that leader and be that next Quentin flowers. And it's like, or any comparable quarterback. Cause at, at some point it's kind of now or never, but I, I, he's just a guy you want in the locker room. Do you, do you guys feel like he played looser than normal in the final game? Do you think he was a lot looser? Because I thought one of his problems the other year is he wouldn't take, now, it's going to sound strange because he, he did make some bad decisions throughout the year, but he I feel like he wasn't taking a lot of chances and throwing balls in tight windows and kind of taking some shots down the field, just take a chance on it and give your guy a shot. Right. And it seemed like he was a little bit more loose, a little bit more aggressive with it Friday. And sometimes, like, when you're in a quarterback competition, that you just have to make that switch in your head and say, hey, I'm just going to be aggressive and I'm going to go for it. And so maybe that's what you saw, or maybe it was just a one-time blip, or you right. know. But uh, if it's if it was that, because I thought that's something. If he could be a little more aggressive, but uh, take you know good shots. Don't just take, just don't throw the ball up, but take good one. When you have one-on-one shots, take them. When you have a open guy between the safety and the corner, hit that throw. Um, if it was that, and you, then then that's something he can build on. Do you guys think he was a little bit more loose and kind of played a little bit? Uh, I more free. I no, think, he wouldn't get pulled. Basically, yeah, I think so. I mean, I know a lot of the play calling where you know some RPOs with you know the backside slants that they. I mean, they absolutely destroyed UCF on. I think if you go back and chart it, I if Jordan had thrown two incomplete passes on those on those plays, I'd be shocked. It, it was just it was always there for him. And then when you're getting those quick slants in, it kind of opens out the outside a little bit more. And you saw Randall C. Felix get involved. You saw Latrell Williams get involved. And it kind of opened up the offense more. And I think you said it earlier this season when I think I asked you about how what kind of made the switch for you when you were going back and forth when you know, when you were you know, splitting time as a senior in high school mm-hmm. with, with a, a future star quarterback. I think he may have had maybe it, it flipped for him. Like, hey, I, I just there's nothing else I can do outside of just trying everything to yeah. be successful. Yeah, you get to a point, and I did, where you're trying to you're trying to like to not lose your playing time, right? You just want I got it, I don't want to lose it. And then you kind of it's per almost paralysis by analysis. Instead of tape making throws that you know you can make, you're like, oh well, there's a guy. Maybe he might be able to tip it. I don't want to. I don't want to turn the ball over. I'll just be safe. And I think you got to get to a point where you're just like, hey, I can make that throw. I got to throw it. And when uh, for me, when I when I did that, I played much better than the rest of the season after that. I was kind of like up and down before then. And then once I made that decision, I was just I it was just like in the middle of a play. I dropped back. I was like. 
screw it, I'm throwing that ball. I can, I know I can get it there. And after that, I was good. So sometimes it's just that. It just and then for him, knowing that he probably wasn't going to get pulled this game, probably might help him be a little more free too. But sometimes it could just be that switch. Like you know what, I can make that throw. I'm going to throw it. I don't care if it's a little cloudy. I can make that throw. Um, and sometimes that's those, that's just the switch you need. And maybe that's what happened for him on Friday. Again, you, you can't, I can't stress enough just how important it was to cut, even the, again, even though it's a loss and it, it sucks that they tied the series six, six, but leaving the offense on that note, regardless if he's the starter or not, you, you've seen that there are playmakers on this team who, you know, outside of Trey Dukes and a couple others who may move on, uh, they're, going to be a lot better next year with a, a full young, year of practice. Young playmakers, a lot of them. Right. And, you know, Latrell Williams still will have two years to play. Mario Dawson still has four years to play. It's that that kind of talent that you're excited about for the future. Uh, and, and then with this new recruiting class coming in, I think Jeff Scott was hoping to have like 10 guys come in for, for January, for spring. And that's just a, a added more bodies and uh, – I think that's that's really going to help uh, this team overall. Um, again, you know, on the flip side, defensively, you can't really over the last, I would say, probably since Memphis. Honestly, you can't really judge this defense because they were down just so many bodies at that point. It, it's it's you throw your hands up and like, hey man, if you get a stop, you get a stop. I appreciate your effort. You're going out there and trying your hardest, right? And you know. I think you said they had 16 scholarship players on defense the yeah, final I think, game. I think it was 17. 17. Yeah, but still, I mean, with how aggressive they were playing defensively, to have that, and and they made some plays. I think you have to be – obviously, you're never happy when you give up that many points, but like 17 scholarship players, depending on how those are broken up, that's not, you know, that's not very many at all. Um, and those guys were able to make plays and make it kind of tough at times on UCF, who's really, really good on offense. They're they're really good. And they made it hard on them, which I think you have to feel pretty good about where that side of the ball will go when they have everybody back. They had the most pressures and sacks all year, it felt like. I mean, they were yeah. making Dylan, – Dylan Gabriel's really used to, I'm going to you know, take three steps and I'm going to shoot – and shoot a cannon to anywhere down along the field. And, and even those defensive backs were pressing the receivers for the most part. I mean, when you see like walk on defensive backs making plays, it's just like, wow, where are these guys coming from? And how do you do that? I mean, my dad was texting me and he said, like, he was saying, well, you give up a lot of points. I said three scholarship cornerbacks. And then one of them got hurt. And he went, Oh my gosh, why are you playing this game? <laughs> and I was like, it's just like that happened. I mean, to me, that, that was always an insane stat when it's like, okay, we only have two, start we only have two scholarship cornerbacks like you're trying to cover four receivers <laughs> right and uh, again uh, you know Antonio Greer had nine tackles uh in a tackle and a half for a loss he had surgery yesterday on uh, for a shoulder injury like this defense was just absolutely bruised and uh, shocked they made it through the entire year um and you know thank god they didn't play that navy game Right, it, and yeah. it wouldn't have means. <laughs> it it would have been it would have been brutal. Um, three scholarship knees left. <laughs> it just it it would not have been fun. Um, you know, we we said uh, on Twitter over the weekend that FAU and uh, FAU and and Navy are not going to get made up. There's just no time. There's I think Navy's booked until like New Year's Eve with Army Navy. Like there's just so many games that Navy's even trying to make up because I think they're still in contention for the conference title. Um, so it just doesn't happen. So you end the year one and seven, you don't go winless. Like another team has gone winless three times over the course of their history. Um, you know, once within the, the last five years. So it, you know, if your worst season is one and seven and you're, you're better than what you started and you've started to find some pieces to move forward, that's, that's okay with me. Uh, we knew this team was going to kind of suck this year. Um, and, and they did, they didn't, they didn't stop fighting, but they, they were still not good. And that's, that's okay. You're minus one, you're minus two, whatever you want to call it. it reset for next year. 
and we'll move forward. Uh, I do want to ask over around the room, uh, one highlight from this season, from this, from this team, uh, Steve, you go first. Um, I would say Chris Council's interception against Cincinnati that I still don't know how he caught it. Seth. Uh, can I say Steve's predictions or do I have to pick something real? <laughs> <laughs> I would say, I think my, uh, the thing that I'm most pleased, maybe not a highlight play, um, but finding some young explosive players on offense and Dawson and Petit, I think is something really key going forward. Uh, and both those guys, we kind of saw Dollison early in the season and thought he would be a player, and he turned out to be a, be one. And then Batie, we talked about him three or four weeks ago, maybe a month ago, about how he runs the ball a little bit different than everybody else. He's small, but he's strong and explosive. Um, and he turned, looks like he's going to be another really good player. So I think you've got a lot to build on going forward, which is what you're kind of hoping to find out. What do we have in the skill positions going forward? And I think they got some some guys to to build on. Vito, how about yourself? I, I mean, I'll, I'll go back to the to simplicity. Uh, the, the win in week one, I mean, it's hard for a brand new head coach with everything going on with COVID, with no spring break, or the, with no spring practice, limited fall practice, to get his first win in his first game at home with no fans. Uh, I mean, first time head coach, I think that's a, a, a good highlight. I think that's that was the high point, watching Jeff Scott dance in the locker room. It's like, hey, we dance when we win. And we, you didn't win any of the other games. There's some close games. There's a lot of issues. And I think we found out that even though we expected the team to be bad, we didn't expect or understand what like COVID and tracing and unavailables was going to cause week to week. And getting through the season is also just a highlight, being able to get through without anybody really being seriously hurt. Uh, getting Jeff Scott that first win, because if you went this entire year with no wins, then all of a sudden you have a, you have a monkey on your back and you're trying to chase it. So, For me, uh, it's through the summer of unrest uh, through, through now, no one within the athletic department has put their foot in their mouth and done something so stupid to cause any unrest within the locker room they've from Michael Kelly on down to Jeff Scott, to the coaches to show that they support their players. Um, they may not understand what they go through, you know, as predominantly black men in America, uh, but they can appreciate what they are going through currently and allow them to have a voice. Um, I've said it time and time again, I'm just so thankful Jeff Scott is not an exact carbon copy of Dabo Sweeney. And I think over the last month, you've seen Dabo Sweeney time and time again, put his foot in his mouth. I think he's still talking about Florida state uh, three weeks later. And that's, that's just been a, a nice breath of fresh air, you know, outside of everything else. This has been God awful year for a lot of people. And they were able to, navigate it as well as can be expected for a first-time head coach. Kudos to them. Now, on the flip side, low light, the sloppiness of some of these losses, you know, um, Notre, I mean, Notre Dame sticks out as a – we're not even playing the same game at this point. <laughs> um, you know, ECU, Tulsa, I mean, those ones where, okay, this team's going to be really bad for a little bit. Um but such is life. How about you, Steve? Um, well, I can probably I can probably say the the photography uh, side of things. Uh, being in the plazas was bullshit. Um, I understand you're trying to keep everyone as distant from the players as possible. Yada yada yada. Understand it, but my God, being 250 yards away from the play sometimes with my camera was the biggest pain in my ass I've ever had. Um, also going the same record as USF, uh, in my predictions this year, um, you know, I'll give myself, I was probably going to get the last, last game of the season wrong. Um, probably get a little bit closer than people thought though, but <laughs> one and eight alongside my, my fellow bulls. I mean, that's a pretty big low light. I'm, I'm shocked. I got every single game wrong, essentially. Yeah. Shocked how that happened. Seth, what about yourself? Uh, the ECU game for sure. I remember watching ECU thinking that they were terrible. 
And I was like, you know, I think I only picked USF to win by one, but I picked him to win. I thought ECU was really bad. So that game was kind of a shock a little bit with how poorly it went and definitely probably the low point I would think of the season because ECU is just – they were not very good heading into the game and, and they came in and waxed USF pretty good. So that's, I'd say that's probably the low point would, would be that game. Yeah. I know the Houston game, and I know with all the unavailables and everything, but you know, watching that game was just deflating. You almost beat Memphis outside of some some just uh, management and just lack of luck in the last five minutes, and then you think you have something to build on, and then you just get completely waxed by Houston within the first half, and it's just inconsistency is there, and I know there's a lot of context to that, but that was just one of those games where you go, oh my goodness, again, it's like. The, you know, you have Notre Dame that happened, ECU that happened, Tulsa that happened, Houston that happened. There's just all, all these games that were just like you're not even in it. What, what is going on? It was just, it was just deflating to kind of see that, and, and that to me, watching that game was just was hard. It was a tough one. I'd also like to say um, that Tim, I feel like, and I've said it before, that Temple game was, in hindsight, a much worse loss, knowing how, knowing now how bad that Temple team is. Um, Houston Ailer or Holton Ailers, I should say at least is like a decent, competent quarterback. And they have some pieces here and there of a young program like we are at ECU. But my God, is Temple really, really bad at football this year? And we kind of just gift wrapped that game to them. Like we could have easily had won that game and we should have won that game. Agreed. Let's see. Signing day is coming up in two weeks. There's some scuttlebutt of some uh, a top defensive tackle flipping. Um, have we heard anything concrete on that as we uh, are now two weeks away? The only thing that I know is that he did take a virtual visit with Virginia Tech. He and his family did it, and apparently they loved it. They you know, loved the facilities, loved the coaching staff, yada, yada, yada. Um, he's been kind of itching for a Power 5 offer for a, a quite a long time, and I think Jeff Scott and company knew that if he did get that power five offer, there was a chance he would decommit. Um, that's been kind of his, his, um, his point for a while. So I think we're going to lose him, but he could also be swayed to stay home because Holy shit is Virginia tech, a shit show right now, potentially firing Justin Fuente. Um, but he's also being looked at by like Florida state and Louisville as well. So if, if, if he fends off, or if we are able to fend off Virginia Tech, I would imagine Florida State and Louisville are going to be offering pretty shortly thereafter. Is he signing in the early signing period for sure, or is he going to wait? He's for sure going to sign early signing day. So um, we have basically, what, 10 days to to do that. He might be one of those guys that flips last second, but I'm, I'm not confident he's going to he's gonna end up at USF. And we're, we're uh, obviously talking about uh, Desmond Tank, you can say his last name because I'm Mamoudi. Mamoudi, there we go. From Carolwood Day School. Mad Eye Mamoudi. Sorry. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Wandering Eye Mamoudi. Oh, Lord. You people. And there, there could be some option, backup options uh, if, if Tank does decide to flip. Is it a Barrier guy or a state of Florida? What, what are we looking at here? The easiest one right after him is going to be Sincere Littles from Riverview. Uh, he's kind of a guy that's been really interested in going to USF and probably would take a preferred walk-on spot just to end up going to USF, but he might be a guy that ends up on scholarship um, with us. He's by no means uh, bad. I think he's actually rated higher than Desmond. Uh, he just He's on a pretty bad team, uh, to be kind of frank, and he kind of led that team, but I, I think if Desmond ends up flipping i think he gets the offer immediately and and you know we basically flip for flop and and get a better defensive tackle by the rating system that kid's pretty good he i think they made this they might have made the regional final last year um and i've watched him play a few times because he's he's local um he's a good player I, i i wouldn't think that would not be a uh that would not be a consolation prize. I think that'd be you'd be all right with that. Now Virginia Tech has Clemson this weekend, and then Virginia the following weekend. If they, which is the twelfth, which is before signing day, if they lose both those and get waxed by Clemson, they may get fired. So, right. 
So that'll be kind of interesting. So you're, we're big Clemson and Virginia fans the next couple of weekends. We're all Cavaliers. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, is there anything you guys kind of want to wrap up a, a, on, on this season that a bow that I, I do want to say, I don't think this coaching staff isn't is in its final form. Um, Willie Taggart did this, um, to great success. He tinkered every off season, trying to find the right pieces. And then it finally clicked in 2016 for everyone with the, the right pieces in place. Do you think there could be some, you know, shift of personnel, um, either, you know, firings or, uh, you know, coaches finding other opportunities elsewhere to try to make sure that, you know, the fit is right. You know, Charlie Strong didn't do this at USF and it bit him in the ass. Uh, tinkering with the staff, and it seems like the the coaches who do the do well early on understand where the shortcomings are and then try to fix it as soon as possible. I don't. I don't think you can after this year, just because it's such a strange year. Like, how can you judge a coach that's got? three scholarship players and like it's tough I think this would be a tough year to do that it also kind of sends a you know how many guys want to go coach for the guy that fired people after a COVID year when there's a lot of bad stuff going on it's mm-hmm. like you, you single out one guy it's like well the whole team was terrible what do you <laughs> so like that co- like other coaches are gonna be like all right this guy I don't know if I want to work for that guy so I would guess there wouldn't be much I think another thing that is underrated is it's fun to talk about during the games. The ESPN guys love to bring it up, but I think we forget how young most of the staff is. Right. And that they're going to kind of grow too. I think a lot of the mistakes or some of the mistakes we saw this year were kind of young staff mistakes. Um, one that springs to mind is that the, um, the challenge in the UCF game. Ugh. Right. right. I, somebody's upstairs in the box saying, coach, his knee was not down. His knee was not down. And they're not looking that his forearm was down. Right. So like it could have just been that, but you just got guys that are, you know, young, excited guys. Hey, I bet his knee's not down. His knee's not down. Challenge it. And they're not even looking at, oh, well, his forearm's down. That means he's down. Right. So I, I think there was a few of those this year where it's like, okay, these are more like young staff mistakes because you have to, it's, it's different when you're there and you're actually in it and you have to make that decision right now. And you're up in the box and you've, you know, you're the guy that's got to, hey, do we have that look? And you got to say yes or no. And it's it's different once you're in it than it is being a GA or something else. So I think um, you probably won't see a bunch of turnover, but I think you'll see those guys kind of get more comfortable in the roles. They'll improve. And now they understand what the roster is. And I think we'll definitely see more roster turnover, but I think the coaching staff will probably <laughs> stay the same. Maybe they'll add more guys in off the field roles. Um, if, uh, kind of, you can get the budget back to normal and stuff gets back to normal. You'll see the kind of maybe an expansion of the staff off the field. Um, but I wouldn't imagine many changes unless like you said, somebody leaves for somebody gets offered a a job and maybe a bigger school or something. I think that would be the change, but I don't think anybody's going to get fired. I, I would be, I would be pretty surprised if that happened. Real quick, the Tiger, when in his first year, brought in kind of hodgepodge guys too, right? Yeah, so I think if, uh, if memory serves correctly, he was kind of forced to uh, keep or keep bring on Chris Kosh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, for 20, whoever is 2013 defensive coordinator, it was like you were, you were hiring this guy, this is going to be your defensive coordinator, you have no say in the matter. And unsurprisingly, it didn't end well. And, uh, they were replaced in the, you know, the rest I, of history. I just looked up who it was actually his first year. It was, uh, it was Walt Wells was, the OC, uh, was right. Yeah. The OC Chris Kosh. It was uh, Chuck Bresnahan and Walt Wells. And then the next season in 2014 was when they brought in Paul Wolf, um, you know, offensive line genius from Purdue. And yeah. then, then he cleaned house. Right. And I mean, Chuck, Chuck B, uh, you know, I think Tagger went through four coordinators in four years uh, at USF, and the offensive line I think had five in four years or some something insane like that. You know, TJ Weist was a prominent person in 2016 uh, as co-offensive coordinator with um, Hiller, Coach Hiller, I think. That guy was a riot. He was he was he was a very nice guy, but I think he went to Indiana with uh, Tom Allen or something like that. I can't remember. It was four years ago. 
Coach Heller, yeah, you're correct. An entire baby ago. I mean, I can't. <laughs> oh, jeez, Louise. Um, That's appreciate it. Yeah, so uh, again, this was kind of expected. Uh, you know, start the season on a good note with a win, end the season on a okay note, uh, given, you know, <laughs> the middle six games were kind of awful uh, is, is not the worst way to go out. And uh, I'm excited to see what this staff can do with the full off season. I think we won't see many interruptions for spring just because we'll have the numbers back and with hopefully a vaccine and they've, you know, they have the, the contact tracing the the, the resident down for, uh, you know, in season play. I think it'll, it'll help them in the spring. Yeah. So I think that's, I think we wrap up uh, the USF football season. They they, they go one and eight, zero oh and seven in conference play, or they lose the war on I four. Uh, but there's still some good things to take take away from this year, um, and we look forward to covering them in the spring and seeing what happens. You know, you lose Johnny Ford, you lose a couple guys to the portal. I'm sure they won't be the, the only the only ones, and we'll we'll go from there. It's a lot to be excited about, but let's move forward. We got basketball here, fellas. It is basketball season. The men have played now four games. We uh, Inside baseball, we're recording this after the Florida Gulf Coast game on Wednesday. We've played four games. The men are two and two after wins over Florida College and Florida Gulf Coast. Uh, basically, a little, I think a week apart, so good for them. Um, had a tough go of it in uh, Connecticut over the weekend against Rhode Island and Virginia Tech, who are both very solid programs. Uh, you know, I think A10, I think it's Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. And then the ACC, I mean, it, it was tough go, tough sledding. Um, early on, early impressions of this basketball team here, uh, Vito. So uh, I had a very different kind of viewpoint after the weekend in Connecticut. They just seemed a little disjointed. They seemed like they couldn't find their stroke and they couldn't shoot. And we talked about how we were unsure about the perimeter defense with Q graduated. And it Mm -hmm. looked like it wasn't quite there. Other um, Rhode Island came out on fire, especially from three-point land. Today against Florida Gulf Coast, USF finally figured out their offense a little bit, what they wanted to do, uh, albeit against a, a much lesser team in competition. I, it's can, can those transfer bigs do anything in the post when Michael Durr is not there? Uh, can they provide any offense and or defense for the most part? And can, can they have any perimeter defense? I mean, Kayla Murphy looks like a stud. I, I love that kid already, his hair. I, his stroke, the the way that he was handling the point for the most part. Again, it's he just needs to get his free throws up. But it, he's a freshman, and mostly the entire team needs to get their free throws up. So maybe one of them will do that. But if they don't get those those things going, at least last year they had Q picking pockets. But if they don't have that now, they got to figure out how to manufacture good offense and who's going to be those consistent shooters. It didn't look good over the weekend. Looked a lot better last night. Or sorry, it will be last night. We listened to this, um, uh, but. If they can figure out who their shooters are going to be consistently, then I think it'll look a lot better. But that's pretty much it. Uh, I'm happy basketball's back. That's for darn sure. Big, what about yourself? Um, I, I I alluded to this. Um, I, I think they're going to kind of hit a few road bumps uh, from now until the beginning of conference play. Um, I think you're going to see a, a quite a bit of um, – inconsistent play trying to figure out what works best. And, and obviously, you know, when you bring in five new bodies, Prince Aduro, Kayla Murphy, uh, Russell Chewa and um, Luke Anderson. And then, um, blanking on. Yeah. You But regardless, you know, bringing in some new guys like this, um, I, I think it, it's just taking Brian Gregory a little bit of time to figure out how to gel them all together. Um, it, it was very apparent tonight that they're going to rely on Yedna and Durr um, quite a bit, at least for the time being, yep. um, until you can get Oduro and Chua to, uh, to to find their niche there and get the communication. And uh, to be frank, they have two very, very good teachers uh, leading them in front of them. Um, and then Caleb Murphy as well. I mean, he's so much fun. He He's going to win conference honors 
at some point in his career. Hopefully he wins, you know, mop player of the year at some point for USF, but he, he's going to be something special to watch. And I was also pleased. I know uh, some of the guys were kind of hesitant with, uh, with Xavier Castaneda. Um, I, I think for he, good reason for good reason. Yeah. He, he, he at times last year got a little lost, a little hesitant here and there. I think he showed that he can really be that guy uh, to kind of step in and, and lead and lead when he needs to. Um, but I, I think this team is going to be decent in conference play. I think they'll end up top five in the conference. I think they're going to surprise a team and, and get a decent upset here and there, but you know, there's still might be a year away from, from really starting to compete for a conference title and competing in the NCAAs after. Yeah, uh, I, I think you're you're right there. I, you know, it's been four games. Uh, Xavier Castaneda's only played in the last two, I believe. Uh, so we don't really know what how the the point guard minutes are going to get distributed. Uh, Caleb Murphy ran point uh, Wednesday night for the most part, getting the start alongside uh, Jameer Chaplin, uh, who replaced David Collins in the lineup uh, after David had twelve turnovers in two games over the weekend and just did not look like himself and. Kind of seems, I think it's been talked about, in, you know, in our Slack, you know, throughout these games, it's like David Collins and Caleb Murphy do basically the exact same thing. They just do it a little bit differently. You know, David's a little bit stronger and, you know, kind of muscles his way to to the hoop, to the paint when he drives. And then Caleb's a little flashier, a little bit more hops and, and spring to a step to get to the, the paint using, using that. And they just – just never quite fit. So when you bring in Jameer Chaplin, who, you know, he went 0 for 1 from 3 on Wednesday, but he still can kind of spread the floor, floor a little bit, add a little bit more length, a little bit more quickness. You saw the floor open up, and they, I think they jumped out to like a 13 to 4 lead before David Collins even got into the game, uh, just thanks to you know, Michael Durr and Alexis Jedna being able to do whatever they want in the paint because it's not so jam-packed. But it's going to be uh, very interesting to see uh, how how that season progresses. Uh, I, I would be willing to bet that you know outside of crunch time minutes, I think BG is going to try to separate Caleb and DC uh, as often as possible, just so they don't you know just cause chaos and, and clog up the paint for you know their two post players. Um, you know, Michael Durr has scored at least 10 points in eight of his last nine games, dating back to a February game last season against UConn. Um, he 14 and nine on Wednesday night, it, it just his ability to shoot with either hand, uh, you know, uh, left-hand hook, you know, drop steps. It, it, he's really, really improved. And it's been a real nice, think to see so far this season. Alexis Shetton is finally getting back into the groove, led the team in shots uh, on Wednesday night, had 13 and nine. Those two are going to be key. And it's, they're going to have, BG going to have to ride those two right now because Prince Adaro and Russell uh, Chua just look just completely out of sorts and lost so far earlier in the season. And Brian Gregory told the media on Wednesday, it's just trying to figure out, how to play within themselves, within the team. They've got a lot of pieces, but, you know, prior to game one on an, in a normal year, you would have had a couple of close practices, uh, close scrimmages, you know, last year they played Florida. Uh, so you kind of get what they're trying to do in a real game time setting. They had a couple exhibitions, they would play Miami. So you're kind of feeling it out and, you know, Florida college, and then you kind of go up against these two really good teams in, in Connecticut and, you see some of the things that you need to get worked on and, and it showed in, in spurts uh, on Wednesday night against Florida Gulf Coast, who, you know, by no means is a, a good team. They're a far cry from Dunk City, that's for sure. But it was good to see some of the pieces kind of fit together, um, you know, going forward. Uh, this team's going to be a lot of fun. They're, it's going to be – it's still, you know, Brian Gregory basketball. It's still not going to be pretty on the offensive end a lot of the time when they can't hit shots. So they've got to do a better job there, but I mean, two and two. Um, I think I would have said they were going to be two and two after four games, uh, given their competition. Uh, they they face FAMU on Friday night, then they have Stetson uh, next Tuesday, and then they go up to Atlanta for a game uh, versus LSU before starting conference play against Cincinnati. Um, I think December eighteenth, if I'm not mistaken. So. 
couple more games to figure it out before conference play. You usually get like 10 of these games and you've got to shorten it because of COVID. And, you know, this Florida Gulf Coast game wasn't on the schedule until before the week, just before the weekend, because one of the teams that was supposed to be in Connecticut couldn't travel uh, due to COVID. So just be prepared for a wonky year, but we'll see that Xavier Castaneda, I think uh, Steve, as you mentioned, has been a, a nice surprise so far this season, but we'll, we'll, we'll find out when we start playing uh, better teams and, and, you know, so far Owen two against the, the two good teams you've played against and not very competitive. We'll see how, how that kind of translates to the rest of the year. A- any thoughts on, you know, the first four games that we kind of haven't touched yet. Uh, that's kind of either surprised you or, or been a little disappointing or exciting for you guys so far. So the, I know it was USF's first game and uh, Florida College's 10th, ninth, ninth, ninth game. Um, I was surprised at how good Florida College could shoot shoot from three. And you I know, when you I tried to tell y'all, <laughs> he did. Matt's that Matt Simpson. Whoo, he was good. Um, so uh, this game, the Florida against Florida Gulf Coast, was good because you just sometimes need a game where you ha- are in control from from opening tip to the close and. Winning by a ton, every like I think they almost had six guys and and double figures or something like that. Everybody was on fire today, and it was a very good game to kind of get that going because that also helps get the juice going and, and kind of make you have that confidence that you're looking for. When you only beat Florida College by ten, you and that's all that's your first game. And there's some sloppiness. You kind of start thinking about it, but uh, uh, that was a really good game. My question is like basketball overall is going to be very different with no fans. I know they did it in the NBA, but like those college arenas. I mean, they want to be able to hear the crowd either roar or go silent after a three. And it's just not being able to hear that, trying to generate your own energy in basketball, especially when you're, you know, bricking all of your shots, that's going to be a huge thing. So can, can the, can the team kind of get over that hump if it needs to happen? Um, I'm cool with Brian Gregory ball. They just uh, need to clamp down on the defense a little bit, but um, can they manufacture their own energy? That's kind of what I'm interested to see. And they did today. That's for sure. Yeah, and uh, Yetna's healthy. Uh, looked good. He's looked good all for the first four games. Uh, haven't seen anything of concern there. He's probably back to his dominant self. Uh, Mark Kalea, that's the second he hits a three. I, I mean, I'm going to go nuts for this game. <laughs> He's, that's going to be the best moment in, in USF basketball history is when Mark Kalea hits a three to just seal home like a 97-65 to 65 victory over fucking two lane or something like that. It's just going to be the greatest moment in, in, in basketball history. But um, yeah, it's, I think it's going to be interesting. I, I think, uh, I think conference wise, I think you kind of already can tell who's going to be top dogs. Um, I, I think you're only really kind of big question mark in the conference right now is what the hell's happening with Memphis. But other than that, you know, Houston's probably going to win the conference. Cincinnati is going to be up there. And that's about it. Tulsa should be still pretty good. It's going to be an exciting time. I'm excited for conference play to see how well this team improves, see how the point guard position shapes out. But uh, Vito, to your to your point, which is a pretty good segue to, to women's basketball about uh, generating crowd noise and, and generating your own energy. <clears throat> I think you saw on on Tuesday night what you know no crowd can do for a, a top tier team, right? Baylor number four Baylor comes into USF and it's just completely just disjointed from the get go. And, you know, the bulls kind of hang tough with the number four team in the country and uh, they lose 67 to 62, but it, it wasn't without a, a hell of a fight from coach Jose Fernandez is uh, his team there. And um, it, it's that God, that's, that's a sweet 16 team. If I've ever seen one at USF, I mean, they're so deep everywhere. Betty Menunga is just an absolute star. She's averaging nine points, ten and a half rebounds through two games. Uh, hit, I think she hit two, two or three threes uh, on Tuesday night. Uh, the, her final two were to tie the game at fifty and fifty-three. Um, after after Baylor, you know, extended their lead to ten on Tuesday night. USF chipped back, tied the game, and then just kind of ran out of steam at the end there. But uh, it's a very exciting time. They, they've got Mississippi State on Saturday, I think, which is the number six team in the country uh, coming into Tampa. So it's going to be interesting to see how they how they rebound after such a close loss against a very good caliber team. This is 
going to be one of those times where, all right, if you're a legit top 16, you know, sweet 16 team, you need to knock off one of these two teams. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how, how they respond after such a close loss. Um, Maria Alvarez back against Baylor and looked fantastic. She sparked, uh, she sparked the, the run there for the Bulls. I think she had eight straight points on her own, uh, hit four threes, had 18 points and in 22 minutes. Um, it, it's going to be super exciting. Again, they can do it all uh, right now. And this team is, I mean, Lord willing, they stay healthy. And Beatrice Jardow went out with uh, what looked like a head injury on Tuesday night after taking a shoulder to the side of the head. We'll see you know, what the outcome of that is. But if they can stay healthy, they've got the talent to, to run away from this conference without UConn in it. Uh, and it, it's going to be a, a very exciting time this season with what's kind of stood out to you through two games uh for women's basketball here steve for me at least i i mean the ju game was just i they that was jose fernandez just bullying a a lesser team uh it felt like throughout the entire thing um but just knowing how talented that baylor team was and how much fight usf put on um i, I feel like in years past especially within the last three years, there are times where they'll play these top competition games and they'll play them close, you know, first quarter, first half, second half or second quarter. But then there are times where they'll just, the other team, the the top team will just go on like a streak for like eight, nine points or something. And then they'll just fall flat and and they'll, they'll chip back here a little bit, but they'll ultimately still lose by, you know, 10, 15 or something. This felt different. This felt like they were playing a top-level competition team and had the top-level competition to battle back. Um, I think at times, like I, I, I wasn't watching it live, but um, I, I felt like just looking at the highlights and re-watching what I could, they could have easily turned the tide of that game and ended up you know, stealing one away from them uh, like they did last year against Texas. So yeah, I think... I think this is a good sign for the team this year. I think you, you've got some really talented first team, all ACC or all AAC um, candidates with Maria Alvarez and Betty Mnunga. So, you know, hopefully that'll just carry on for the rest of the season and they can kind of use um, these Baylor and Mississippi state games as like a, you know, focus point saying like, Hey, we're better than everyone else in the conference. Let's go out and prove it. And let's make a deep run. Vito, what did, what did you see through uh, two games so far uh, for women's basketball? Uh, the women look dominant as usual. I mean, Jose's got his team head and shoulders ready to go. Um, and I really love – it's a testament to him to get these really hard non-conference games and to get Baylor to come to USF. I mean, last year they lost, I think, by 12 in Waco, and they they played really hard that game. This year they they played even better. Um, that The center they have, Queen Egbo, is just insane. 25 points, 11 rebounds. She dominated. And it's just – when you're when, when you're a top five team, there's not many of those centers in the nation, let alone the conference, that you're gonna have to go up against. And Betty Manunga did a really good job. I mean, 33 minutes and she fouled out. She double double with uh, 13 points and 10 rebounds. But I mean, this team, top to bottom, looks really really good. They really missed um, Beatrice Dordeo down the stretch. I think that would have helped. But they have the firepower to be able to do it from the perimeter. They, it's going to be, can they, can they dominate the boards? Can they get second chances? Uh, a lot of times last year, they'd go on these big scoring droughts and even teams in the American would come back or, or, or get ahead. And they were mm-hmm. a little, I want to say too outmanned, but there were injuries involved as well. So can they stay healthy? Can they keep teams at bay? And can they really capitalize on UConn not being here? Uh, also, testament to Geno's teams because USF would play UConn twice, sometimes three times a year, and get blown out. And back-to-back years against a top-five team in Baylor, the best team in the Big 12, hands down, and he he took them to the ringer. And it's like, right. that's how good UConn is and was for the, that every time you played them, it doesn't matter how many times you play them, it's always still a blowout against them. So can, right. can they really, can they stay healthy and can they take advantage of this? Cause this, this is the year, but th- that team looks good and deep and I'm really excited to see them what they do on Saturday and what they do the rest of the season. Right. And you mentioned that this team being so deep, uh, Christina Provencius, you know, against JU, she had a career high 18 points and then I think she played like five or six minutes, maybe 10 minutes against Baylor had five turnovers and didn't see the floor. Uh, I don't think she even scored. Uh, on Tuesday night, so it's just it, 
it's, you know, it, it sounds cliche that, you know, anyone can kind of step up and, and take, take on the scoring load, you know, from, from anywhere on the floor. And it's it just that team, this team is so deep. Uh, the, the, the trio of, of Sydney Harvey, Elisa Penzan and uh, Elena uh, Tisnecki went, I think combined thir- uh, seven of 34, seven of 39 on Tuesday night against Baylor in, in the loss. Uh, not many nights you're going to get that kind of poor shooting output from, uh, from all three at the same time, uh, which is something to, to really look forward to. Those guys are, are, are girls are, really really good at basketball and it's going to be exciting uh season for them um as i mentioned uh they they face mississippi state on saturday uh they're ranked uh, number six in the nation on espn plus at 7 p.m and and then they have 11 days until their conference opener because their stetson game got canceled due to covid uh within the, the stetson uh, team, so they're you know they're looking for someone to play. You know it's getting down to the wire where I guess we're just gonna have to prep for for Memphis. I think they have finals next week, uh, so I, I think the date like they have open dates like the the tenth, eleventh, and twelfth or something like that. Um, prior to getting ready for Memphis, uh, prior to going to Memphis on the sixteenth uh, for the conference opener, and it's unfortunate that they're they're only they may only have three non-conference games before uh, going going into conference play, but. 2020, man. Uh, I've got an idea. I've got an idea. Follow me on this. Okay. This is going to be bad. The Daily Stampede versus USF Women's Basketball Exhibition. Absolutely not. (laughs) I don't think that would count for uh, NCAA rules. All of us are not in college. It's terrible. Terrible idea. Nope. And I definitely, like, I'm pretty sure I don't have COVID. I but I would hate to be the person that just kind of <laughs> <That's true. laughs> deteriorates their team because some dumbass on the Daily Stampede roster has COVID and, and ruined it for everyone else. Um, Nate, Nate went one for one with one three-pointer and also gave everybody COVID. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm efficient with my time. Uh, <laughs> A deadly shooter, if you will. Yeah, oh, just... Also, let's talk about Jose just, and, and uh, I know Colin mentioned he, he wrote an article with DK Nation, uh, shout out DK Nation, um, but he, Jose just like, uh, and other coaches tweeting out, hey, we have openings between this date and this date, we can play, who wants to play? Like, you, you gotta be, you gotta be sliding to those DMs to get those schedules, right. uh, out of conference scheduling now, it's, it's crazy. It's insane. Um, and, you know, with, with football, it's the same way. I mean, I, 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 uh, got some of the emails from USF uh, from various universities that, uh, I mean, they were, they were trying to get these, these games played. There were a couple that were like literally on the one yard line that just didn't come to fruition for other reasons. Uh, I think Troy, Troy starts was one. Kennesaw state was another Jacksonville state. Just oh, I, I would have been all state. over some Kennesaw state action. Yeah. And, yeah, so it would have been interesting. Um, and, you know, it, Steve, you mentioned us playing women's basketball. Do you think we could score four points against this team? Our best five. Could we put up four points in a four-quarter game? I, I think I think so. I think we could. I, you know what? No, no, we can't. No, I don't think I honestly God, don't think we could. I think uh, I think Betty would just destroy me. Like, oh my God. So, Seth, I think you'd be one of our post players. So, have fun going up against Betty Menunga. Um, yeah, we'd score four points. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I believe it just because Seth is an actual athlete, and he could probably – I feel like he's got a good turnaround teardrop. You know, wait, we're waiting. I'm, I'm, I'm a post player. I'm just a foot too short. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I've got a decent shot, but I don't think I'm getting a shot up against you know half of this team, if not all of Steve it. Steve will set some vicious screens for you. Also, the thing is, Jose knows. Like, if 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 Colin has any say in this, Jose is going to go absolutely ruthless against us. Oh yeah, like, for sure. Full court press the entire way. Yeah. Can, okay. Exactly. Full court press. Can anyone get the ball up? That, no. I think that's the that's, that's the, the first question. Can anyone get the ball up against full court press? Because man, I I am not that guy. I oh. thought I was that guy. I am not that guy. 
I'll be honest. I see what, some of the baseline plays when some a guy's just doing this. I'm like, how do you even clear that? Like, <laughs> just a regular baseline play. How? <laughs> I just I feel like it's way too impossible to find an open man. Yeah, no. <laughs> but I, I I want this game to happen though. <laughs> you got you guys sit in the corner. I'll get you some looks. All right. I'm I'll, 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 I'll whip one out to you. <laughs> I'm not I'm not a corner three guy, man. I need to be like kind of on the wing. You know, not at the top, but just kind of to the off to the side. Either either way, man. That's uh, that's that's my that's my bread. And who's our who's our corner three point specialist? We got one. Absolutely Colin, not, Colin Sherwin. <laughs> We're in trouble then. Colin can make threes whenever he wants. <laughs> oh lord, uh, this has gone off the rails. Means he's gone on too long. Thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, following along on this what was that brutal season, but Hey, it's basketball season. We're going to have a lot of fun with this. Uh, we'll, we're still going to do uh, the podcast uh, likely weekly uh, still as we kind of navigate non-conference play and see how these games shape up. It's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of fun coverage over at the daily stampede. I uh, hope everyone had a very safe and, and relaxing Thanksgiving. Go bulls. Go bulls. As always go bulls. The Bulls.